Well, it's been a minute, but uh, we are back here on, uh, on the Bills Beat, whether it be on SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or on Stitcher. And I believe the way you termed it on, uh, on Twitter the other day, uh, Matthew, was unbridled enthusiasm. Enthusiasm unknown to me. Enthusiasm unknown to mankind. To yeah. borrow a phrase from Coach Harbaugh. Wow. Which one? The Michigan. Oh, well. I get next. He's Jim. Yeah, that's that's Jim. John is the uh, special teams turned Ravens coach. Um, so yeah, we're we're here and uh, we just took in our very first Bills OTA session, and uh, quite honestly, it uh, was about as OTA as an OTA goes. But there's always things to to kind of break down from there, and uh, I mean there there have been some pretty interesting storylines the past few days here in terms of the NFL, not just the, the, the Buffalo Bills and their, their OTAs, but, I mean, you've got Richie Incognito, which happened yesterday. Um, you've got the Anthem policy. You've got uh, the the stadium uh, report, or when Kim Pagula talked with the Buffalo News yesterday. And then on top of it all, we have Josh Allen slinging the ball around on a random Thursday in late May. So... Plenty of stuff to get into, but uh, let's 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 dive right into to the OTA portion. I think for me, Matthew, one thing that I like to take away more than anything from OTAs is not about well, this guy looked good this day, this guy didn't look good this day. To me, it's mostly about seeing where they're lining up, who they're lining up with, and if they can string together performance after performance that could potentially put them in a better light down the line for like mini camp, training camp, things like that, then that's what you take away from the OTA. So what what do you like to garner most from, from watching these OTA practices along those lines? Yeah, it's hard because we only get one a week. Right. So to say, you know, a certain guy didn't perform very well or whatever is a little bit tough. I mean, it's, it's information, but it's just a piece of the puzzle. It's mm-hmm. not... You're not getting the whole picture like you do at training camp, and it's hard to kind of follow along with the progression when you're only in there once a week. But you do get some hints if one week you're in there and a guy's lining up with the second or third team, and the next week he's up there with the ones. Mm-hmm. You, I think there's some people who think, oh, you know, position battles don't start until camp. I, I'm not sure I buy that. Yeah, that's especially incorrect, especially with this coaching staff, given you know how much you know they really enforce competition and, and really mm-hmm. want that to be a thing it's going to start almost the moment you know those guys walk in the door to do the the voluntary conditioning so i do think there's something you can take away bits and pieces but mostly you're you're looking at where people are lining up and right. you're looking at you know who looks out of place i think is is a big one you know yeah. this guy doesn't look like he belongs with the ones or this guy doesn't look like he belongs with the threes he needs to be moved up and things start to crystallize. You get to see how the coaches actually feel about guys. Yeah, definitely. And, I mean, a big part of this for me, because, you know, there's so much turnover this past offseason, right? I mean, we saw, we saw, especially on the defensive side of the ball, that I was basically glued to the defense today because I wanted to see where everybody kind of lined up, uh, what positions they lined up, because we just didn't know. There were so many new pieces that a lot of things wound up changing. So from that perspective, I mean, you start right at the defensive line, and um, one thing I found very interesting was, you know, th- that I thought there was a chance that Shaq Lawson could move back to the right side now that Ryan Davis is gone, and I thought, you know, hey, maybe they're going to try to get something, anything out of Shaq Lawson, because I think he's even 
said, I, I was talking to Deion Dawkins one day about um, switching from the left side of the offensive line to the right side of the offensive line, and he's like, hey, it's it's all new muscle memory. And Shaq Lawson chimed in and said, hey, yeah, same thing with defensive end. So from him playing right defensive end his whole life, you'd think he's more comfortable there. But today he was at left defensive end, second team behind Trent Murphy, who couldn't do contact drills. Um, and instead of Shaq Lawson moving to the right side, it was Eddie Yarbrough, which certainly is a great thing for Yarbrough because he turns into the third pass rusher um, and certainly the one they depend on the most. And then Shaq Lawson, I mean, what's going on with him? He's got Owa Odigizua right behind him. So and this, this Shaq Lawson stuff is interesting. He better be motivated this year because I, 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 don't, I don't know about him. Yeah, I don't. I mean, there was the game that he was benched or, you know, he had some right. that was either a weight issue or some sort of off-the-field issue. and Which should not be neglected in this situation. No, because, again, you know, while the roster purge is mostly complete, there are still a few leftovers from mm-hmm. the pre-Sean McDermott era, and I don't know that Shaq Lawson would have been a guy that Sean McDermott would have picked necessarily. So... For him to be, I mean, going out and getting Trent Murphy kind of tells you all you need to know. Paying Trent Murphy the type of money they did tells you how they feel about Shaq Lawson. And then seeing, you know, Eddie Yarborough getting legitimate reps uh, in a spot where maybe Shaq Lawson could have seen the field Mm -hmm. tells you even more about how they feel about him. I mean, Adolphus Washington, I think, is going to have a similar, you know, little battle on his hands this this offseason. I think the thing with him, though, is... They, they couldn't decide what he was because he wasn't good at either spot last year. I mean, they, they had him at three technique to start. They switched him to one technique because he was no good at three technique. They go out, they sign Latulole. They sign, or they tr- they draft Harrison Phillips. Those are both one techs. And today, Adolphus was behind Kyle Williams at three. So Because Harrison Phillips was taking Starlo Tulele's spot at the one. because he wasn't there today. So. Right. And Adolphus, there's nobody behind him, though. That's the thing. I mean, there's... N- right. Marquavius Lewis is the third stringer. He's not in danger, necessarily, of getting cut or anything of that nature, but he's just being phased out. Yes, uh, absolutely. You know, Harrison Phillips, I mean, you can only see so much of how these guys look, but... Right. It's just so obvious that he's their type of guy and oh, yeah. that he's going to be a real factor, I think, in that rotation. By the so, way, excellent job on oh, the feature on Harrison Phillips. I appreciate Phillips. it. If Fun you got, one to write. If you guys have not yet uh, read Matthew Fairburn's King of the Boards feature <laughs> on uh, Harrison Phillips, I urge you to go to uh, his Twitter feed and find the link right now because it was it was a really compelling read to you know, think about where he came from. Such a Sean McDermott type of yeah, story, man. Yeah, it's like crazy. I mean, you think, sometimes you, you fall into the trap of thinking like guys had this just linear progression up, you know, up the way. But, you know, this was a guy who his family was having a hard time affording getting mm-hmm. him out to a, a recruiting camp to get him noticed. And then he goes out there and rips through 150 people in an Oklahoma drill and emerges as king of the boards. It's, well, uh, well, maybe not that, but who who can't relate to like, you know, having family maybe struggle a little bit. Right. I mean, and, and it's just, a very relatable You know, story. having to, he had to pick. I mean, you know, his dad had just lost his job and he had to pick. He had to say, you know, he had gone to Nebraska. He had mm-hmm. gone to all the ones they could drive to. He's from Omaha. And they kind of said, you know, he left Bo Pelini's office and Bo said, we like you. We don't know where we're going to put you. And he's he said to his parents, I think I need to go to another camp. Mm-hmm. And they're like, oh, 
great. Like, how do you not <laughs> yeah. know where to put Harrison right. Phillips? Though? It seemed pretty easy. I mean, he was a defensive lineman and an offensive tackle occasionally in high school, but mostly just a defensive lineman. Like, he's gonna be a defensive lineman. Mm-hmm. I think Stanford recruited him as D end and eventually moved him inside, but because he started, you know, he gained more weight. But also, I it mean, shouldn't be that hard to figure out. And his chest goes from me to you right. across this table. Yeah. I, mean, I mean, he is a huge chest. I mean, that he's, I mean, that he's been, he you know, had, strengthening over time. At the time that he was getting recruited, I'm pretty sure he was benching over 400 pounds. So, Which is I mean, ridiculous uh, as a 17, 18-year-old. You know, he's, he's been a beast in the weight room for a long time. So, yeah, it was weird that, you know, oh, we don't know where to put you. So that's when he was like, I think I need to go to another camp. And they're mm-hmm. like, all right, well you know, his grandmother stepped in at that point and said, I'll, I'll step up here and make this happen. Cause he needs to, you know, do this. Mm-hmm. And he said, he called the Stanford coaches cause they weren't going to offer him without, you know, seeing him. And they saw all his tape of him whipping around 215 pound kids and said, why don't you come play with the big boys so we can see if you deserve a scholarship. Right. So he said, all right, I'm going to come out there and I'm going to earn a scholarship. And a day later they call him, Bo yeah. Pelini calls and offers him a scholarship Right after that. Was that in your story? Yeah. Oh, and, I, didn't, I didn't see that part. Sorry. Uh, Bo calls him and says, you know, yeah, we're going to offer you too. But at that point, it was too late. Mm-hmm. So, um, you know, he kind of was like, I think Nebraska, it happens at a lot of places. A state like Nebraska, they think these kids are going to fly under the radar and they'll mm-hmm. practically walk on. I mean, look at Brandon Riley. You know, guys like that just want to play for Nebraska. And mm-hmm. Harrison Phillips was like, they grew up Kansas State fans. He didn't really care. So. Mm-hmm. Um, kind of cool how that all happened and yeah not too many guys are are more Sean McDermott's cup of tea than that guy uh, I know and it, again if you haven't read the story go read it because it's it's very well done very well written and uh, I think Bill's fans a lot of fans are going to be either a going out and buying a 99 or b taking the old duct tape putting yeah. it over Darius <laughs> and, and putting Phillips on the back so yeah he was he was in at one technique and uh, in there for some reps, right next to Kyle Williams, which is probably the uh, the dream of uh, a lot of Bills fans out there, um, and it, it, no, that was that rotation was interesting. The one guy who I thought was getting some run that I didn't expect to was Ricky Hatley, uh, the Missouri uh, defensive tackle, and he, he was signed late in the year last year, and you know he was in there at at one technique. Of course, Latulule not there, but. You know, Hatley was getting some run with the ones. Uh, he was switching in and out with uh, Harrison Phillips. So I, I found that very intriguing from um, just a roster building and rotation perspective. Um, at linebacker, Tremaine Edmonds is locked in as the starting middle linebacker. And I mean, it is full steam ahead, 100% of reps. Him and Matt Milano out there, every single first team rep. Every single one. There's no one else that even sniffed it. So, I mean, it. <laughs> there's sometimes where, where they want guys to earn it. In Tremaine Edmonds' case, it's like, no, 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 we need you. Right, yeah, <laughs> walking in here. Oh, you earned it. You know, right. Way to get from the parking lot into the building. You've earned it. <laughs> because You turned 20. It, congratulations. Right? Yeah. You earned it. We talked about it. If they were going to be stubborn about that, that they were going to be wasting everybody's right. time. Right. And I think that's where, you know, it's a little bit different with the quarterback uh, and, you know, doling out those reps. But I think uh, it was – you're really going to make Tremaine Edmonds, you know, take second-team reps and Honestly. put Julian Stanford in there. I mean – Tanner Vallejo. Uh, you know, I, it just didn't make sense. They nope. didn't even have a real true Mike on the roster. Now they nope. do. Mm-hmm. And 
defense is going to be, I really think, is going to be quite a bit better. Yeah, I, th- I think they're going to take a, a step forward. And the, the linebacker, because I, another thing I found interesting today is they did a lot of nickel, which I might... I might think that nickel ends up being their base, which would be interesting from a, you know, just from a philosophy perspective. I mean, they're basically in at 70% of the time anyway, but, you know, they've been trying to develop that as much as possible. (laughs) Um, And I think it's uh, watching them do that and and having um, Edmonds out there with Milano 100% of the time was, was interesting. Another part of that, I noticed, I don't know if you caught this, uh, rather than have two main defensive tackles in there they had Lorenzo Alexander in there at defensive tackle as another pass rusher and then they also mixed Shaq Lawson in there as well on third downs specifically so yeah and they were doing a lot of that type of work today as well so a lot of situational stuff I I've one thing I've really thought about you know with Taron Johnson and Saran Neal they have a lot of flexibility in terms of different nickel packages because Mm -hmm. I think Saran Neal can be that Shaq Thompson, big nickel, if they want him to. He's, you know, at safety right now, but as they sort of put more on his plate, he he can play in the slot. I mean, he played corner, linebacker, and safety. That basically makes him perfect for that position mm-hmm. in Sean McDermott's defense. And so, a lot of Taron Johnson today on the field, he was getting both the first and the second team nickel Yeah, I think reps. he's kind of locked in as your base nickel guy for the most part. But with Vontae Davis right. out That's today, to Philip Gaines was also, he was playing outside. So it's maybe he gets some run at, right. at nickel. But I would I would think Taron Johnson is going to have a real shot to win that job. And he should. And that gives you really a deeper secondary than you had last year. I mean, there were times where Lafayette Pitts was out there, times Mm -hmm. where Sharice Wright was out there last year, and I think the depth is a little bit better there. I think the depth is way better on the defensive line, and the high-end talent at linebacker got a big boost with Tremaine Mm -hmm. Edmonds. And Taron Johnson's another guy with a a great story. I'm I'm actually going to have something dropping on him early next week. I mean, he's... Uh, where he's come from, kind of the, uh, you know, the, some loss early on in his life, um, how he got into football in the first place. Very intriguing kid and uh, went from California. For, and here's a little snippet. He was the first ever person from his high school in Sacramento, California, by the way, to ever make it to the NFL. Ever. I mean, that that's kind of astounding considering, you know, California is a, a hotbed for some good players in the league today and then you know I I think with him he's really starting to get in the nitty-gritty of that role already and uh, if if he takes to it well that's got to be something the Bills are very uh, very much (laughs) approving of because he's he could be someone that could slot in for them right away and if he hits then he can be their guy there for the next four years and that would be a big uh, weight off their shoulders. His old college coach I talked to um, oh Weber uh, at Weber State, Jay Hill, I believe his name was, who coached a bunch. He coached at Utah forever, so he coached like Sean Smith. He was mm. always the secondaries coach there. Played a little bit for the Bills. He had like a cup of coffee in training camp. Had a brief NFL career. He compared Taron Johnson to Antoine Winfield, which I found pretty interesting. Yeah, um, size wise, definitely size. Taron might be a little bit taller, but they both don't necessarily get you know, recognized as big speed guys, but they can both hit. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that kind of sticks out as something that Sean McDermott loves is guys that can hit and, you know, play that style of defense as 
I believe Sean said it was a lost art uh, on draft weekend, you know, talking mm-hmm. about Taron Johnson's tackling ability. So I'm interested to see what he can do when, you know, real bullets are flying. And same, yeah, same. It's not just, you know, OTAs and, and shorts and shells and actually out there in pads, you know, hitting each other. And another fun fact about him, he's from Sacramento. He is a legitimate Kings fan. I didn't know those existed because the Warriors are so close, and I figured everybody just kind of said, hey, you know what, Vladi Divac, we're good. Uh, we're, we're good here. We're not going to be king. Yeah, he's, he's big into the king. He, he still roots for the Warriors when uh, the kings are out of it. but Which is yeah, all the time. All the time, <laughs> yes. But uh, So I asked him, who, who are they going to draft? And he's like, man, they're going European. It's <laughs> like, he's like, they always go European. But he liked Colin Sexton for, for what it's worth. All right, um, on the offensive side of things, let's get into the quarterbacks because I think that's – Probably uh, a thing that many people are interested in. You think? Yeah. Seeing as how we devoted four months of this podcast <laughs> to it. Uh, I really liked the day later on of Josh Allen today. And I don't want to, you know, go over the moon or anything because it's May 24th. It's the third OTA and only the third practice he's been a part of with his new team. There's no pads or anything like that. But And he's playing with the... The third teamers. The, the slappies. Right. The, the slappies, if you will. He, he's trademarking that. Um, I liked what he did today. I really did. And even more so because we know he has the arm and he zipped a few of them in there, which was incredible to see. The one that went right over the linebacker Thompson's shoulder in the end zone. I think it was Cadet that, that brought it in. Yeah. Um, that, was, that was his top throw of the day. That was one of those where I just dropped my notebook and took a – took a circle when I walked. I'm like, come on, you, you can't be, you should be able to do that. Um, but uh, I think what was more, uh, more than anything, you know, in that piece that I did on, on Josh Allen, where I watched all the games and broke down what he needed to do. The one major area was he was really poor throwing to the left because he opens up his hip and opens up his shoulder. And his first day of OT or first day of rookie minicamp, Ryan Dable was in his ear the entire time he tried to do that. Like he took his shoulder and like jutted it forward to make sure that he wasn't doing that any, any longer. And I saw some progress there today. Now keep in mind, this is again, May 24th. This is not a real game. There are not pads on, and there's only so much that, uh, that you can really teach him at this point in time where he might just end up reverting once he gets back into a game where there's someone trying to crush his skull. Um, But at the very least, to me, that was something that was a progression. And I think that is important that we continue to see these progressions if he's going to get on the field sooner rather than later. His two best throws of the day were to his left. Yeah, Um, The one to Cadet that you mentioned that was kind of like a back shoulder type of throw with really good placement, I thought. Um, pretty, you know, far down the field, really mm-hmm. good velocity. And then he hit a post route, which he loves the post routes, mm-hmm. and to Ray Ray McLeod, which was, you know, similar, just zipping it in there, you know, and, and showing off the arm. But both of those, that was more, you know, mid-left of the field, but still right. turning slightly to his left. And that's the other thing that I saw from him that's, you know, the simple thing, but his passes to the flat weren't all over the place. Yeah. It was just uneventful. Throwing a flat pass, completing it, no big deal. That wasn't even the case a couple weeks ago in rookie minicamp. He had a few of those sail mm-hmm. on him. So if he can hone in on some of the, the fundamentals and and really make the simple stuff simple and you know complete the easy stuff, life's going to be a lot easier for him. I personally think it's... It's, 
it's going to be time pretty soon to bump them up. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> one I, OTA. <laughs> I, I'm, I I know it's one OTA, but like I, I don't know how you evaluate the guy when he's playing against those guys. You let him build up a base, let him build up some confidence. I think that's what they're doing. But how long do you wait until like you know how much of Nathan Peterman do you want to see through an interception today? Passes over the middle were high, like they kind of always have been. Yeah. I mean, yeah, everybody's got to earn it and whatnot, but in what universe is Nathan Peterman going to be ahead of Josh Allen on this depth chart? I, I don't think that's – I just really don't think that's going to be a thing. So, you know, eventually I think they're going to have to let the reins off a little bit yeah. and let this kid do a little something. I'm not saying it needs to happen – next week or the week after that but i wonder if minicamp uh, like maybe day two or day three at least just sprinkle them in and hey maybe they're sprinkling them in when we're not there also very possible yeah true um you know i would not be surprised if reps are different uh you know or they sprinkle them in one day when we're not there see how it goes and let it continue um so i just think Starting at three, yeah, you know, you got to start from the bottom. You got to earn everything. But mm-hmm. part of me just says, I mean, the clock's ticking on the development, right? Reps count. Reps yep. are important. And Josh Allen mentioned that today. He said, you know, the only thing that, you know, isn't great about being number three is that the number of reps you get isn't as, you know, great as the other guys. And it just got me thinking, like, why are you not giving this guy enough reps? Get him reps. Mm-hmm. And whether it's, with the twos or the ones, whatever. I think if it's going to be a legitimate competition, he should have that type of chance. And he probably does need to build up his base and confidence and work on some of those little mechanical issues before they, you know, put too much on his plate too soon. But I do Mm -hmm. think it's something that even before the end of the spring, maybe we should get a look at. I mean, to their credit, it's not as though the ones and the twos are getting a lot more work than the threes. I mean, they're they're evenly splitting the reps. Today it's it just... was even. Yesterday, Josh Allen said it was mostly ones and twos, and he didn't get as many. Interesting. So he said today it was a completely even split, exact the same amount of reps. So yeah. it's – and again, it's still early. The competition probably hasn't kicked off in earnest. I think, you know, there's no. – um, they're installing an offense, which is – not always the case every spring so that makes your OTA process a little bit different and you know obviously Josh Allen has a little bit more of a learning curve being a rookie so it's probably just me being anxious ready to see what he can actually do sure you know because how much can you read into the fact that he's you know slinging it by these linebackers that are going to get cut in a few months you know so Corey Thompson I think his name is he's the undrafted guy at LSU he and he's He's got some game to him, but I mean, he's probably going to be cut. You know what I mean? And that's the case for a lot of the guys that he's playing with. Uh, But Mm -hmm. rookie camp and here, I just noticed he loves Austin Prohl. Oh yeah, he does. does. And you know, there was there was a couple times. um, The one when we were talking about his really great throws, the one to the left that made me think, wow, he's progressing a little bit. Was this one where he zipped it in between two defenders when Prohl was about like. 11 or 12 yards down the field, kind of by the sideline. He zipped it right in. Dable immediately came over to Allen and gave him a huge slap on the hands. I mean, this, and he's got big hands, so Dable knew what he was getting himself into. Um, but that was uh, that was one of those wow throws that I'm like, okay, he's, he's learning, and that's a good sign for them. I also think it's a pretty good uh, sign. Well, I guess this is the way that 
I think I would do it too to you know help him learn in a way that um, you know you eliminate mistakes early on by not putting too much pressure on him because eventually you're going to keep ramping up the pressure. I mean it's it's no different than you know teaching yourself to do different things and and maybe you want to pick up a hobby maybe you want to let's say you want to pick up podcasting right um first thing you do you, you talk in your iphone and and say and, and start to uh listen to yourself back and be like ah well that didn't sound great and just do it for like four minutes then eventually you kind of keep going keep repping keep repping then you keep building yourself up so i i agree with what they're doing right now but like you said i do want to see them bump it up a little bit as we go and um I think minicamp, mandatory minicamp, would be the time where, hey, if if Nathan Peterman, you know, is throwing up on himself out there, not literally, then well, especially if he is, yeah, if he is, then by by all means do it. But that said, I I think getting giving him a little bit of a taste heading into training camp will be the right approach because at that point he'll have almost four full weeks of practices under his belt. And and right there, you you have to sit there and go, okay, well, let's see. This is kind of like a a graduation from middle school, so to speak, where we we see what he's all about and then go from there and and see what he can handle once they get into training camp. So uh, I would anticipate that we're going to see more of the same the next couple of weeks myself. Yeah, I think so. And I think getting him just a a little bit before training camp yeah. give him some time to kind of let that marinate over the break and feel what that's like because you know he's talking about the speed of the game today and i'm thinking to myself i mean the speed of the game is probably the same because the level of guys you're going up against is not well. that, that much <laughs> higher you're not going against sure. trey white and micah hyde and no. jordan poyer no, not like that. of the world so um you know the speed in otas in shorts with uh, third stringers is not necessarily the speed that you're going to get the most out of, but it is a good place to start. And you don't want the, I mean, I'm sure they don't want the headlines that came out of New York when Sam Darnold, you know, was tripping over himself at, you know, rookie camp and whatnot. So all of that little stuff matters mm-hmm. uh, as you're developing a guy. You don't want his confidence to be broken too early or, or things like that. But it just it definitely makes you scratch your head when you're like, Nathan Peterman is getting reps that could be going to the franchise. Right. And he needs to be the franchise. There's, there's no other way around it. They, they put all their eggs in that basket. Keeping with the offense, should we be worried a little bit about Zay Jones? I think so. I, I think it's getting to the point where you start wondering, is this guy going to be any good? Well, yeah, the the news that came out today, Sean McDermott started his press conference by saying, hey, injury update, uh, Zay Jones had knee surgery late last week. Um, Everything he, is fine, he, don't worry. He's, he's going to be out all of the spring workouts, don't know anything past that. And he was asked, hey, is his 2018 season in jeopardy at all? And he gave the old, at this point, yeah, at this we point, do not believe we don't it think is. So. I asked him if there was any ligament damage, and he said, I am not a doctor. Which is correct. I, Which will, is I will grant him. factually accurate, but if he's claiming to not know if there's ligament damage, I would think that should be something he's in the loop on. But yeah. obviously, you know, they're trying to keep as much quiet as they can about this, but 
I mean, this is a guy that's already recovering from the shoulder surgery. Yep. Now he has this to recover from as well. He didn't play well last year mm-hmm. at all. And he also had the incident off the field in Los Angeles. So, I mean, in the NFL, especially nowadays, by your second year, you better be making some noise at wide receiver. Mm-hmm. And, and you know, Or any position, really. Really, any position. I mean, you're going to be halfway through your rookie contract at the end of the year. And that's a second-round pick. And they really could have used a good pick there. They really could use Zay Jones, uh, you know, developing and and see him take that next step would have been very helpful for a team Mm -hmm. that basically ignored the wide receiver position. So now, you know, there was Malachi Dupree out there. There's Mm -hmm. Andre Holmes, um, Jeremy Curley working in the slot. Mm -hmm. I mean, obviously Kelvin Benjamin looks pretty good, uh, looks like himself, but I mean, if you're, not ruling Zay Jones out for the year, but also recognizing that he's going to miss some important work. Mm. Think about Sammy Watkins when he was missing all that time and how tough that made it on him. And he was really good. Yeah, Zay Jones hasn't shown that yet. He's got a ways to go, and he needs this this time to you know get himself back in the swing of things and you know build that confidence back up because quite frankly he didn't have it for a lot of the season last year. It, 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 I believe it was the the game against the Jets that uh, he actually like showed some promise. I think it was in New York, and he got hurt a couple of times. I think it was. It came back in and then got hurt again, and he was done for the rest of the day. Um, so I, I think with with him, he needs that time, especially in such a crucial year of his development. But it is affording a massive opportunity to someone uh, on the Bills roster. And you, you pointed out the one guy that I think Bills fans should not be sleeping on this year, which is Malachi Dupree. Um, he was on the practice squad last year for most of the year and then got signed to the active roster uh, late in the season. Didn't see any time on the field. But, I mean, at this point, it seems like he has passed Brandon Riley um, early on in the OTAs. He was taking reps with the ones. He was mixing in there. He was part of that main rotation along with Kelvin Benjamin, Andre Holmes, Jeremy Curley. Um, it was pretty much a four-man mix, and then Rod Streeter uh, occasionally snuck in there. Uh, but I think with him, he's got a very intriguing skill set, and I think there's there's quite a bit of game to him to where this could be a potential opportunity for him if Zay Jones has to miss any time. Another guy I do not think uh, that kind of fits in the mold of what I was talking about with OTAs, like, hey, it, do they stand out? Does it Does it look like, or like you said, does it look like that they shouldn't be there and they should be at a cut above? The one guy that stood out to me that I really didn't know anything about, Quan Bray. I mean, just a, a tiny receiver, played in the slot a little bit, but he was constantly making plays today, constantly getting open. So I, I wonder if there might be a little bit of something there with Quan Bray we'll see next week when we get to workouts. I mean, these OTAs, I mean, the two big examples I'll use from the time that I've covered the Bills were... Stevie Johnson, that was the first time I saw Stevie Johnson and went, that that could be something. It was his rookie year. I saw him run around, so I'm like, wow, that's his size and that route running, that, that could work. Nick Nickel Roby was then Nickel Roby, not Nickel Roby Coleman. I mean, his first few weeks of OTAs, he was on fire. So I think all in all, if if you can see guys like this kind of string it together, I mean, Quan Bray is, could be an example of someone 
that takes advantage of an opportunity because nothing is set in stone at the wide receiver spot right now outside of Kelvin Benjamin. That is it. I mean, maybe Ray Ray McLeod will sneak on there as one of the roster spots, but maybe Andre Holmes for special teams. But in terms of playing time on the offensive side of the ball, Kelvin Benjamin is your one, and nobody's even close right now. No, and I think I'm interested to see how Malachi Dupree does it. I, I get I like real hesitant with wide receivers this time of year because True. Des Lewis has been the star of OTAs. It's <laughs> very sad that he's not out there to be the star of OTAs for like the 15th year in a row. I miss him. Uh, I mean, a latter-day Felton Huggins. It was every every year. I, we kept hearing about, this is the year Des Lewis is going to make the jump. And then, Were you here at all for Felton Huggins, by the way? I was not. Ooh. I don't think so. I, I called him the uh, the cockroach of, of the Bills roster for a while because he just kind of hung on and, and he was just he was just there for a long, long time. And, and good on him. He, he snuck like four or five training camps out of it. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, it, and Des Lewis is a great example. That's kind of – the wide receiver position is one of those where I just – look at it and say when the pads aren't on it's a lot easier to play that position mm-hmm. and you might not think of it that way but it's a completely different ball game when there's you know some physicality involved mm-hmm. and des lewis didn't have a lot of that malachi dupree i think needs to show some of that uh, i i like him as a player he's really fast and he's got uh, a lot of you know ball skills to him but and they do not have that they I mean, don't the, have the they don't have a fast. guy like him he's different than zay jones and arguably brings is a little bit more dangerous mm-hmm. um you know when defenses are, are kind of game planning but i think you know you start to see a little bit more out of, of what these guys are made of in training camp because you're in pads you're practicing day after day we get to see everything mm-hmm. guys get worn down and that's where you know things can start to fall apart i mean Rod Streeter's another one, I guess, to to keep in mind because uh, he was the camp darling last year. I'm so bored of Rod Streeter. Yeah, yeah he's kind of like in the Des Lewis camp for me. Is like every day people wanted to make a big deal out of what Rod Streeter was doing, but it wasn't necessarily popping up when mm-hmm. it mattered. So it's a position that can fool you a little bit this it time is. of year. And there's a lot of fool's gold probably sitting around in in the bills wide receiver room right now because like you said it it's kelvin benjamin and that's about it yeah which is why i want to see if you know i think malachi dupree can can stick and he showed that he has enough to his game to where the bills actually held him for the full year last year with the intent of having him for this next year because in in the kind of like a minor league sort of scenario i i'll be very interested to see if uh, Quan Bray can can you know he's show, bounced show the around a little bit. He's I like twenty five, yeah, um, but he's got some speed. Yeah, um, he can play a little bit. You sure? Uh, I mean, who's to say? Again, it could be a Des Lewis situation, but it could also be, you know, maybe he they find a guy who can sneak on and be your fifty first, fifty first, fifty second, or fifty third guy on the roster. So, I mean, this is where those reputations start to get formed with people uh, in terms of the coaching staff. And then you figure out what's going on from that point. And once the pads start to go on and things start to get a little bit more real at training camp. So the wide receiver spot is going to be the most compelling one at camp outside of quarterback. There's, there's no doubt in my mind. I mean, because nothing is set in stone there on the defensive side of the ball. Basically everything is set in stone. Yeah. Not much intrigue. Maybe nickel. 
On offense, I mean, it seems like everything is in flux outside of LaShawn McCoy. Including the offensive line. Yeah, that's where where I wanted to go next. John Miller was getting run with the first team. Mm -hmm. Russell Bodine and Vlad Dukas, right to left, is how the interior went. Jordan Mills still at right tackle. Deion Dawkins at left tackle. Mm -hmm. Ryan Groy just hanging out. Yeah, I... um... Someone on the Bills told me that uh, it was a rotation that Ryan Groy had been with the uh, with the center um, Ryan Groy mixing into center and then mixing into guard as well. So I think those three interior spot, spots right now are just a massive rotation between Groy, Dukas, Miller, and Bodine. So today, like you said, we we saw um, Dukas on the left side, Miller on the right side, and Bodine at center, and. John Miller is such an interesting case because, you know, really didn't... Last year was tough for him. Really tough. And yeah, he was hurt a lot. He was hurt, and I mean, I, I talked to him for a solid 10 minutes today, and he was just like, hey, that's on me. I lost the job flat out. I didn't do the things that I needed to do. Um, it it uh, But he went into this offseason, tried to flush it out of his system, uh, tried to do as much as he could, went back home, and, uh, you know, tried to, you know, just get back to his roots a little bit to figure out who he is and who he wants to be. And um, this is a big year for him because, you know, the, the retirements of both Richie Incognito and Eric Wood uh, have opened up a new lease on his roster life. I mean, he not only could sneak on the roster, he could win a starting job if he plays well enough. And we know he has the capacity to do it. And there were certain factors against him last year. For instance, I mean, brand new head coach, brand new GM that did not draft him. An offensive coordinator that did not at all uh, have an offensive scheme that was good for him. And I think that changes up a little bit this year with Brian Dable. So when, uh, when we get to training camp, Miller, I'll tell you what. I mean, I talked with John Miller last year. I mean... I don't know if he was in a bad place, but he just didn't seem like he... He was depressing to talk to last year. He just didn't seem like he was in a great place. Um, This year, came across mature and knows the task ahead. I think think there was a little bit of maturity that went on this past offseason, and he probably did some reflection in the offseason as to who he he was and who he needs to be. And going into the final year of his contract, it's, it's... I mean, there's... I don't need to tell you. It's it's a huge year for him. He needs he needs to make a mark this season. Yeah, and maybe he can. I mean, Sean McDermott sort of mentioned Russell Bodine as a guy who stepped up as a leader, which I found a little bit interesting considering yeah. he just got here. And then to see him out there with the first team makes you think he could beat out Ryan Groy. And then where is where does that leave Ryan Groy? Is he going to be a guard or is he not going to be a guard? Mm-hmm. And if he's not... You're looking at, you know, Vlad Dukas and John Miller. I mean, Wyatt Teller could conceivably, you know, make a case. But Did you notice he was on right at right guard today? Yeah. So which is a switch for him. I would think that that would mean Dukas is kind of entrenched left guard, yeah. at left guard. And he played pretty well last year, and the coaching staff loves him. And I think DeAndre Wesley was the backup at left guard. So, so it seems like that's Dukas' job to lose. But right guard could very much be up for grabs. I mean, we'll have to see, though, with left guard, because if Groy Groy is still going to be a left guard, that's where they have to, you know, kind of make up their mind there. And 
maybe they can, you know, find a way to fit Groy and Bodine on the field at the mm-hmm. same time. I mean, I don't know that, I mean, what we know of Russell Bodine, it's not exactly like they should be clamoring to have him on the field, but right. it's the situation they're in. And much like wide receiver, it's going to make for a really interesting case once camp opens. Might might not make for an interesting case once they get to the regular season, however. Depending it, on how you look at it. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, if they're trying to bottom out and... <laughs> and uh, if interesting to you is watching quarterbacks run for their lives, then... <laughs> It could be very interesting. No, <laughs> quite. Um, but yeah, I, I think all in all, those two spots are the ones to keep an eye on because, yeah, well, outside of quarterback, the whole offense is just. I mean, they kind of did this the, the same way down in Carolina too, where they built up that defense and they made sure that that was good to go, and then they tried to bring the offense around after after the fact, and yeah, that seems to be the way that they're doing it here too, and. Uh, I don't know if we're going to end up seeing them go after any big names that that big veteran names that might hit the free agent market down the line. Maybe they they look at a guard or something like that, maybe a mid-tier wide receiver, but outside of that, I think I think they might just take their medicine this year on offense and and see who can play, see who can establish themselves because those are the types of stories that they really like and because those are the guys that earned it and they have a pretty good in, indication that those are going to be the guys that continue to try and earn it from year on year in and year out and a perfect example of that is Eddie Yarbrough I mean this time last year quite literally the the roster that they give us going out to the out to the practices Eddie Yarbrough was listed as a linebacker all throughout the OTAs and the minicamp and even at the beginning of training camp and he was playing defensive end and what does he do he goes out there and just crushes every single practice ends up making himself a staple of the second team defense and ends up ends up cracking the team and now is probably going to be the third defensive end this year and they know he's going to continue to do it because I mean he came from nothing so maybe that's kind of how they're looking at this with wide receivers offensive line what have you yeah they might be able to find a guy that becomes a reliable depth player down the line but you're probably looking at a situation where next year they're either going to have to invest a premium draft pick or quite a bit of money in the free agent market yeah. to find a legitimate, you know, second and third option. I mean, you can rebuild a wide receiver group pretty quickly yes, in can. the NFL. I mean, look at Chicago is a great example. Um, look at what Philadelphia did uh, in between Carson Wentz's rookie year and his second year. So it can happen and you can't fix everything at once. And that's, you know, when they made the playoffs kind of, led on that they were farther along than you know everybody thought but Mm -hmm. in reality it didn't change a whole lot you know about where they were and where the roster was so yeah they're gonna need to fix some things would it be a setback if zay jones can't be a part of that and can't be you know this guy that they rely on yeah that would because you know that you spend a second round pick you want that guy especially at that position you know to to make an impact so and that would be a whiff on sean and Kelvin Benjamin entering his contract here, if he doesn't take that step and they can't bring him back, you know, that's a whiff on Brandon Bean who made that trade. So He looks like he's laboring out there. They, I don't know about you. I mean, he kind of always looks yeah. like that a little bit because he's, he's always dealing with something or another, and he is just a big, big dude. But He's a tight end you know, playing wide receiver. He kind of <laughs> runs, always runs like that just yeah. because he's so big. But um, I'm interested to see how he does this year. I, I've always liked his game and 
think it fits well with these quarterbacks who, um, you know, may just need to throw it up at times. And that's kind of how he plays. That's mm-hmm. how he's always played. So I think the wide receiver group's a humongous question mark. I didn't know that there was anything they could necessarily do to address it this off season. I mean, some people might argue that, but I don't think they were going to invest their free agent resources in it. Mm-hmm. I don't think they were going to pick Calvin Ridley when Tremaine Edmonds was on the board. So I just didn't think it made sense from a value standpoint, either in free agency or in the draft for them to, to do it. But next year, I think, you know, especially depending on how things go, it will be priority one. They were all in on fixing the defense this past year, trying to solidify it. And, you know, it seems like on paper, they've done a lot of that. We'll see how it plays out, but that was step one for them. And I think to them, that's how they believe they can say, stay, um, I guess, competitive over the, the next season and be close in games, even if it doesn't go their way. And then the offense will be the thing that puts them over the edge. Because if they have all of that in order heading into 2019, then then they're going to be in a pretty good spot. So uh, it, it's all very co- compelling on the offensive side of the ball because there's huge opportunities for young guys. And I love that part of it heading into training camp and all this stuff. So it's a it's a it's a stay tuned sort of thing. So depth chart wise, it it doesn't look great on paper right now, but there's there's always that opportunity where some somebody's going to surprise you, and and that's that's how some of the best stories are are hatched in the NFL. So we'll see how, what happens as as we kind of go forward here. All right, so that was kind of a uh, a wide uh, lens sort of uh, look at the Bills roster after one day of OTAs. Next week when we Link back up here for uh, the uh, the next rendition of the Bills Beat podcast. We'll we'll get more in depth into what we saw out there, uh, different trends, and and uh, maybe some more big picture stuff uh, than than what we just did. So, um, I, I there's only two more weeks to go of OTAs. Then we've got mandatory minicamp June 12th through June 14th. Then after that, that's it until late July when training camp gets going. Uh, and, and when they start getting things going at St. John Fisher College. So it, it's uh, it's going to be here before you know it. And I, I can't believe it's already, like, June. And, like, camp is basically here. And it's really exciting because I love covering training camp. But it's also like, oh, your whole uh, existence is going to yeah. be gone in about a month and a half. Yeah, we've got the uh, the summer goes by very quick. Yes, it uh, does. As a football writer, you get you feel like those six weeks in between, uh, you know, mini camp and training camp are like, oh, six weeks, that's a long time. This should be fine. And then all of a sudden you turn around and Kiko, you're back at St. John Fisher College. Yeah, and Kiko Alonso goes and tears his ACL yeah. or something like that. Yeah, it's it's going to be it's going to be a slow roll, but one that's going to go pretty quickly. All right, that's going to do it for us here on this episode of the Bills Beat. My thanks, as always, to Matthew Fairburn of NewYorkUpstate.com. The next time we will talk to you will be after the second uh, session of OTAs we can see next week, and uh, we'll see if Josh Allen can continue to build on, on what he did today. All right, my name is Joe Biscaglia. Thank you all for listening. We will talk to you next time.